You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello and welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan. For a change, I don't have my co-host with me this week. This was going to be an off week. We were, three of us were uh, busy this weekend at Dragon Con in Atlanta, and we had just decided we weren't going to do an episode this week. I was actually going to dig through our old YouTube content, and I was going to find something that I could release as a new episode on the podcast. But then I got the chance to see the entirety of the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert, which took place this past Saturday. And while I was at Dragon Con, I didn't get to see the live stream, but I have been able to watch the whole thing since. And I really wanted to get a review of that out. So I called up my good friend, Vicki Hudson. Vicki, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. And you had the opportunity to watch the whole show live as it was broadcast. I did. It was so exciting. Yeah. Um, So for our listeners, let's talk about you for a moment, just so they'll know who it is that's that's chatting in their ears. Vicky is the lead singer and sometimes rhythm guitar player in local Rush tribute band Spirit of Rush. Indeed. Indeed. Happy to play that role. <laughs> uh, you guys are coming up on, what, eight and a half years now? Yeah, we're actually about to celebrate nine in November. Mm. I can't even believe it. Uh, oh, that's it's right. Been- it's November. Yeah, nine yeah. years. Man. Yeah, we usually do our anniversary show in the spring just because the weather is better. But our actual anniversary, the first time we ever played together is on uh, November 4th, I think, uh, and, 2013. Yeah. yeah. And I've been around as a fan for most of that. Not quite all of it, but a lot of it. I know. You've really been a great support to us. Well, I'm just going to say, for the people who unfortunately don't live in Atlanta and have never seen you, you all are phenomenal. Thank you so much. So give a quick rundown of how the band formed and what's happened over the last nine years. It's just been an incredible journey. So I started going out and doing some open mics uh, right around the time I turned 40 because I just felt like I wanted to do something special for my birthday and and kind of, you know, reorient myself to playing music again. And it's been several years since I had played and I'm not even sure why. But anyway, so I started taking some more guitar lessons and, and my teachers were saying, you know, you have such a great stage presence. So I'm a public speaker for a living. So being on a stage is kind of second nature to me. And they said, you should be going out and doing these open mics. And that that would be fun, you know, kind of a fun way to celebrate my birthday. So I started going out and doing open mics. And at one of those open mics was a 12 year old kid named Reese Boyd, um, who is now 21. (laughs) And uh, he is a guitar prodigy, and he was, like, frightening people with his playing. He was so good and, of course, is even better now. But even back then, he was just insanely good. And someone told me that he was a big Rush fan and that he would really enjoy being able to do some Rush with somebody. And I'd kind of been doing that on my own, going to open mics and singing some Rush and just with whoever was there. And... uh, but the moment I played with Reese, I realized like, oh my gosh, this is something really special. And so the next time I went back to that place, we agreed to do four Rush songs. And he brought along his friends, Ed and Casey, who are now uh, our drummer and bassist. And we played together four songs and it was just magical from the start. So over the years, we've grown our fan base significantly. We have a lot of followers, very loyal followers. We have the best fans in the world, as I always like to say. And we're just playing all over the place. So it's been amazing. 
you've got a couple of shows that are coming up that are like complete album type of shows. Yeah. Talk about those. Yeah. So on September 10th, we're actually going to recreate the Exit Stage Left Live Rush album. And yes. then we'll the witty banter from Getty Lee. <laughs> and there'll just be some, you know, interesting versions of those songs that you hear on the albums, but with a twist. And then on September 16th, and that's at Red Clay Music Foundry. And then on September 16th at Rosati's Incoming, we're doing the entire Grace Under Pressure album. That's so, incredible. Really ambitious couple of shows, and they're only four days apart, but, you know, go big or go home, right? Absolutely. What are some of the highlights over the past nine years? I think some of the material that we've learned, obviously the Rush music is very complex, and there are times when a song falls right into place, and there are other times it takes you know, weeks or even months to really nail a song down. Mm -hmm. But when it finally happens, it's just an incredible feeling. So that happened recently. We added uh, the song Headlong Flight to our repertoire. That's a toughie. I know that's one of your favorites, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. And that song is incredibly complicated, especially for for Casey, our drummer. Uh, It's just got all kinds of weird timing in it, and it changes up a lot. And we really worked hard on it and now it's live and we're playing it out and it's just getting incredible response. So that is just a great feeling of accomplishment. Uh, we recently played 37 Main Avondale and that was a huge highlight for us because it was you know, a huge stage, incredible lighting, great sound. I think you were there, weren't you? I, I certainly was. That was an amazing show. It was, it was so much fun. and. But I think I'd have to say that the other highlight is just our friendship. You know, we we started out uh, with a common love of Rush, uh, but over the years we've become extremely close friends, like family, really. Mm-hmm. And that means the world to me and our Absolutely. fan base too. I include them in that. Absolutely. Uh, just a few days ago, from the time that we're recording, September third. There was in London at uh, Wembley Stadium a massive, massive concert in tribute to uh, Taylor Hawkins, drummer who passed away not too long ago, one of the members of the Foo Fighters. So let's talk about that really quick. What what were your overall impressions of the of the entire show, like that whole experience? What did you think? How did that come across? I was blown away by the whole thing. Uh, I couldn't believe it was six hours. I mean, we were, my husband and I were literally just glued to our TV that entire time. Like we didn't hardly get up because we didn't want to tear ourselves away. And I think the outpouring of love that came right through the screen for Taylor was incredible. But, you know, seeing his family be present, I mean, his son, you know, we'll talk about that, but his son doing some of the drumming and yeah, that was amazing. And my, of course, I am a, a big Foo Fighters fan, but I was, of course, extremely excited about the prospect of seeing uh, Getting Lee and Alex Lifeson together on stage again. And so I was kind of waiting with bated breath for that segment, you know, and what can I say? <laughs> it was surreal. Yeah, well, you know, let's talk about some of the highlights. And obviously, as I'm watching it, I was like, well, this is going to be the first thing on Vicky's list. So what did you think of, of the of the Rush set? The whole time, I just kept saying to my husband, like, I can't believe this is real. And yeah. I think part of that is just because it has been such a loss to have Rush stop touring. And then for, of course, drummer Neil Peart, to pass away. It was just such a shock. And the Rush community, we've all been feeling it. You know, you you miss that excitement of a Rush show, which is to me like nothing else in the world. And so when that was no longer there, you really feel the void of it because it was such a unique experience. And seeing Getty and Alex together again and seeing them walk on stage and hit those first notes, you know, it was like, I just, again, I kept saying to Jay, I can't believe this is really happening. So I thought it was absolutely awesome. 
it was so much fun to see them play with Dave Grohl. I mean, it was a little bit bittersweet because, of course, you know, Neil should be there. But I thought that uh, Dave and Omar Hakim did a great job paying tribute to Neil. And it was just a thrill to see those guys again. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, when you have listened to Rush over the years, as you and I have, and you go from the original studio album, and then you sort of know the way that Neil's playing on those three songs in particular have evolved over the last 40-something years. It was interesting to hear, particularly with Dave, who really kind of stuck to the original recorded versions. It was weird to not hear the Neil flourishes that you expect to hear in the live setting. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that Dave, I can only imagine what was going through his head that, you know, he's stepping into uh, not Neil's shoes because no one can do that, but he's stepping into that role. And that must have been very, very nerve wracking for him. So I imagine he sort of deliberately played it a bit safe just to make sure that the focus wasn't on him, that it was on Gad and Alex, which I thought was really cool. But yeah. yeah, can you imagine how Dave must have felt at that moment? I mean, these are his heroes, and right, you know, I can't, um, I can't even fathom. <laughs> conversely, though, I felt like Omar, uh, who played YYZ, um, really, he didn't try to emulate Neil, whether a live recording of it or a studio recording of it. He kind of did his own thing with it which yeah. I really appreciated. He It made a, a whole new sort of spin on hearing that song. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because right after the show was over, I actually had to like take a break from Facebook because I was actually seeing negative comments uh, from, I belong to several of the Rush fan pages on Facebook, and I was seeing all these negative comments about Omar and you know and this Ooh. and that, and even some people nitpicking rush and i thought oh gosh i can't deal with that because (laughs) can you imagine yeah like think about the emotional charge of that situation for all of those guys omar dave and getty and alex they're paying tribute to their fallen friend and omar is knows that he's in a very you know challenging position of having Mm -hmm. to again fill the neil peart role for that song so I think everyone did an admirable job. And I think, folks, I was shocked to see, you know, any any, any negative commentary about either Dave's drumming or yeah. Omar's drumming. It was it just made no sense to me. No, I totally agree with you. Um, I've been a Omar Hakim fan for a long time. The first time I ever saw him was on Sting's first solo tour way back in 80 whatever it was 86 i think it was and he just blew me away i so know he's i have amazing. loved i've i've loved omar for a, a long long time he's just an incredible guy he is his his uh his style is you know he kind of reminds me of just the feeling i get when i listen to Stuart copeland who's my second favorite drummer second well drummer. And I was just about to segue into that. Go ahead yeah. and finish, and we'll talk about yeah. That Mr. just Copeland. They, I think Omar and Stuart kind of share. Uh, they don't sound like each other, but they share maybe an ethos around drumming mm. of of those flourishes that you were talking about. You know, putting different sort of modes and modalities in into the drumming and making it almost um, I don't know very detailed and almost compositional or something. It's it's really neat. I I appreciate that style very much. All right, so since you name-checked him, let's jump into Stuart Copeland because I know how I know how you love the police. I know what an influence the police were on uh, some of what Rush was doing in the 80s. So what did you think of Stuart's performance on this concert? Well, that was another thrilling moment for me because I haven't seen Stuart in a very long time uh, live. I mean, or performing yeah. live even on TV. I think the last time I saw him live was when I went to see his band after the police called Animal Logic. You've probably you heard saw it. them. I did. <gasps> I love them. Oh my gosh! I saw them in LA, and uh, let me tell you, that show is still burned in my memory. It was oh. so good. Wow. Their vocalist Deborah Holland. 
yeah, mean, she's she amazing. Filled the entire stadium with her incredible voice. Wow. So I think that was the last time I saw Stuart live. So seeing him perform again was really thrilling. And Jay and I call him the master of the hi-hat because he just 100%. has such command over the hi-hat and he really uses it in a way that I think no other drummer does. Mm -hmm. So that was really neat. And I love the songs that they chose to do. Mm -hmm. Next to you and yeah. every other thing. That was great. So um, cool. He is 70 years old. I can't there, believe that's true. Really? There is no sign of age in his playing. Oh my gosh. He is still so fierce and so precise and on top of everything that he does. He he just blows my mind. I am shocked. I didn't know that's how old yeah. he was. And I don't even know what to say to that. I hope I'm that cool when I'm 70. Right on. And he still just looks great, you know. He he does. He's, he's incredible. He so really I is. thought I thought both songs sounded fantastic. Yeah. Next absolutely. to you, particularly, to had a real driving energy to it. Yeah, that, I was just thinking the same thing. That like it, it was. I was shocked by that choice of song, and I thought it was awesome yeah. because I love those early Police albums. You know, they're really driving, like you said, great energy. So what were some of your other highlights from the from the show? I would have to say that Wolfgang Van Halen, like hearing oh. him play Van Halen songs. Yeah. And again, I had to take a Facebook break because I actually heard people criticizing him. And I'm like, how? How can you? What fault <laughs> could you possibly find with, with that performance? Right. I was almost in tears. He was so good. Yeah. And you could hear his dad in him, and yet you could hear himself. So mm -hmm. it was like he didn't sound like a complete Eddie clone. He sounded like, you know, he played it flawlessly, but he also injected his own sort of way of being into the, into the songs. So that was a thrill yeah. for me. What, I've what never I found seen him play. I've only seen him play drums, but I've never seen him play guitar. And so I was like, I almost dropped on the floor. I didn't know he was that good. Well, you know, he's he shares that quality with Dave Grohl in that they can pick up any instrument and they yeah. play it like they own that instrument. Yeah. And I was going to say that was another highlight for me was Dave Grohl. I mean, the guy like he was so present mm. for six hours and he was involved in everything and he was making the speeches and he was playing drums and bass and guitar and singing. And as a musician who you know, I'm I'm basically in charge of the singing for Spirit of Rush. And every so often I play guitar, but I actually kind of try not to too often because the singing is such a job that I don't like to distract myself too much from that. I like to mm -hmm. focus on the audience and my singing. Yeah. Watch Dave Grohl so seamlessly do everything. It just left me in complete admiration. I, I already admired him, but it, it went to another yeah. level. <laughs> And, and I think and for me, another highlight was just seeing him in that moment and being so emotional. Oh, and there wow. were times when he just, I mean, it just was too much for him. And, yeah. you know, and I, I really appreciated that sort of like honesty. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and when they were, when they started at the end of the night, when they started the Foo Fighters set, the first song they did was Times Like These. And he literally stopped singing. Yeah. Because he just, I mean, it was. That, that was, was so moving. Um, yeah. I took a Kleenex and tore it in half and gave <laughs> half to my husband and half to myself. Because it was just, and you got to feel, I mean, being in a band and you're in, you've been in many bands over your lifetime. You've got to feel what that's like for him. I mean, I can't fathom losing a member of Spirit of Rush. It's like losing a family member. Yeah. And, you know, because the, the bond you form over creating music together, I think personally, it's a very primal sort of thing. Mm -hmm. that music is in our souls, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And so when you create it with others, you kind of join souls in a way. And so trying to imagine what it was like for Dave having lost Taylor. Yeah. Again, I just put myself in his shoes and. You know, he did an amazing job of holding up, holding it together. But I mean, even like when we lost Neil Peart, 
I had to put on, we put on two shows right after that. Yeah. And it was so difficult. Oh, yes. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an uh, amazing moment. And he kind of put his heart on his sleeve. And I really appreciated that. I got to say that first show that you, and so these were shows that you already had scheduled. They were already on the books. And then Neil passes away. Like, what was it? A week, less than a week. It was like a few days, not even a week. Yeah. And so we, the night he died, I I came home. Uh, My drummer drove me home because I was so upset. I couldn't drive, you know, I was like having a hard time seeing through all the tears. And uh, right away, I went into our Facebook page and I changed the show title and I changed the picture and we, we retooled the set list. Uh, We, you know, kind of created a run of show so that we could make speeches and allow fans to participate. So we had a jar where people could put their thoughts about Neil and then we read them on stage. So it all had to come together very quickly, but right. providing that for the fans I've heard many times since was a huge help to them as they coped with the loss of Neil. Well, and on that note, that first show after Neil's passing, I think is one of the highlights of nine years of Spirit of Rush. Oh, thank that you. That show was so special. Oh, thank you. It was it was. And I think being able to provide a forum for fans to gather and help each other is a huge proud moment for me. Yeah. And the following week as well, we yeah. put on a second show and it was during the day. So the energy was a little bit lighter. But being able to provide sort of a place where the fans could gather and console each other, I was really glad to provide that service for people. Yeah, you know, it and up on us, but it was worth it, you know. Absolutely. And I feel like that's exactly what was going on at the Taylor Hawkins show. Yeah. For for performers, for his band members and for audience as well. Yeah. I mean, especially at the end when uh the Foo Fighters were doing their set, they they you know, they showed shots in the crowd and people were just like crying. Yeah. Singing along with the songs, but like just, you know, wet faces yeah and i think that in this day and age that's really important because one of the things that uh covid i think stole from us and i use that word pretty intentionally is the ability to have closure when people pass away so there were many Mm. people who died in our circle during sort of the heart of covid and there was no funeral there was or if there was it was virtual Yeah. And so there was like no closure on these things. And the fact that this show happened as a way to give those fans and the band members and the family and all that almost like a memorial service in person, I think really is important and means a lot. Right. Absolutely. So what did you think of the Queen set? Oh, my gosh. Well, I am a huge fan of Brian May for so many and Roger Taylor as well for so many reasons. But what really came across in this show is something that really Queen always did, but it seemed even more poignant here was their ability to connect with the audience and to involve them. Yeah. And so that moment when, you know, Brian May is out there singing by himself. Yeah. Love of my life. And everyone's lighting up their, cell phone or you know their lighters or whatever and they're all singing and the it was like the the spotlight was on brian and yet it was really on everyone yep and that was just what a moment for taylor you know incredible oh yeah it really was yeah what were your thoughts oh my gosh well my first thought was i wonder where adam lambert is I thought the exact same thing. I was like, where's Adam? Yeah. So I'm hoping for the LA show that they'll have him because he's, you know, he's from yep. Hollywood. So I hope so too, because I, I, it, it didn't, I mean, even though the vocalists that were there were phenomenal on yeah. their songs, uh, I, I just felt like it was incomplete without Adam. He's so part of Queen now in yeah. my head, you know? Yeah, I know, exactly. 
to me, Adam Lambert is, and I don't know what your listeners will think of this, but I, I really believe this personally, that he is the best male vocalist of this generation. Mm. I mean, there's other male vocalists from the past that I love even more, but Adam, you know, as far as the last like 10 years or so, I, I yeah. can't think of anyone with more range and ability and just, yeah. I mean, that guy, like I've seen him live and it's insane. He doesn't and seem I, real what he can accomplish with yeah. his voice. And there is no replacement for Freddie Mercury, but I no. do think that Adam is the natural successor. And he's, Adam has said many times, and this is one thing I really admire about the sort of queen continuation is that they always said that it was a tribute to Freddie Mercury, Yeah, that it was not reformed queen, that yeah. it was not like queen reuniting and going back out on the road. It was queen with Adam Lambert. And they used that language very specifically. And then whenever Adam was on stage, he would always say, you know, it's my honor to pay tribute to the great Freddie Mercury. And it was just really beautiful the way that he expressed it because he never made it about himself. He always made it about Freddie. Mm -hmm. And I really admired that kind of thought process. And I think that went over pretty well with the fans. Well, you know, that that's really interesting that you say that because uh, when Brian Johnson stepped into ACDC, he had pretty much the same attitude about coming into the spot that Bon Scott used to hold. Yeah. He, he was, he never saw himself as a Bon Scott replacement. And uh, when they were working on the back in black album, he said, he, he says to this day that uh, when he was writing the song back in black, I think it was back in black, that he had a vision of Bon Scott coming to him and sort of almost co-writing the lyrics with him. Wow. That's so he, so cool. I, I think that's such a neat. So I was really, really uh, excited to see Brian in this show and backed up by Lars Ulrich on the drums. Oh my gosh. God, what a beast. <laughs> I was so happy to see Brian and his whole face, like the amount of joy and happiness that he yeah. felt being there. I was like, he brought an energy that I think was second to, to none. And yeah. the whole show, like his, just his sheer joy of being there being able to participate was amazing. And he sounded good. I mean, I really thought he did a great job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And did one of his own songs and did one of Bon Scott's songs. Yeah. So I thought that was really neat. It was. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed them a lot. Um, what are, what else can you think of that was a standout? Well, obviously seeing surprise Paul McCartney. Just, oh, I mean. Yeah. That was a shock to the system. That was amazing. And that guy is 80 years old. And again, you know, th these are like our role models for aging, right? I mean, I want to be like that. Absolutely. <laughs> that he he still sounded good and he was playing the bass really well. And I mean, that was so cool. That was a huge highlight. Uh, another highlight for me was the, the kids. So Nandi Bush Bushnell and Shane Hawkins. Uh, oh my god drummers you know that have so much talent and i love how dave grohl really like highlights and makes room for and celebrates kids in yeah. his music i mean this is like a there's a precedent for that with him he's done that a number of times so that was really cool to see i was so glad that they that they brought nandy into this show yeah, as as the next generation of exactly. of drummers that have been inspired by Foo Fighters, I think that's she, first of all she was beautiful. Second of all, what a talent! I mean, she truly. blew it out of the stadium. She just knocked it out of the park, absolutely. And then there was another highlight, but I'm trying to remember the song that this happened on. Um, the singer's name was Luke Spiller. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we Will Rock You. We Will Rock You. So I had never heard of him, and I'd never seen him. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away. Like, yeah. I loved his vocals. So he was just, I don't know, it had a, a really special quality, a really unique, yeah. but also solid singer. I mean, he, it seemed like he could go anywhere in the range and, you know, just yeah. be really solid. And 
I liked his energy. I thought he was really cool. Yeah, he's he's the guy from the Struts. Yes, the Struts. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. One of one of mine was uh, a band that I've kind of been familiar with for a long time, but never paid a lot of attention to. And their set blew me away. And now I've been listening to them all day. And that's Supergrass. Oh, yeah. They're awesome, right? Yeah, they were so much fun. And I've heard their songs before and I've liked them. But now I'm like invested. Now yeah. I'm like, and luckily, I guess they've been around since 95, I think it is. Yeah. And that's quite a long time. But luckily, they've only released six albums. So I can catch up on six albums. <laughs> For sure. It's not like a Rush's catalog or something. But right. yeah, they're they're really cool. I first heard of them. Uh, I had a really good friend in England. Uh, who made me this mixtape of like British artists that he liked and Supergrass mm -hmm. was on there. And so I kind of got turned on to them very early. And But they they just looked so young to me. It was hard to believe they've been around for so long. But yeah, they were great. Well, and, you know, speaking of that whole like mid 90s Britpop scene, opening the show with Liam Gallagher yeah. singing a couple of Oasis songs was so fantastic that was really cool it was i know that was a surprise to me too i didn't i didn't know that uh he was gonna be there and i actually really loved also chevy metal and the uh coattail riders yes i guess those are two bands that taylor hawkins played with yep in addition to foo fighters he was known for kind of playing with anyone everywhere anywhere and i thought they were fantastic coattail writers in particular it made me want to look up some of their stuff and check that out yeah that was and and coattail writers is all original material chevy metal is a cover band exactly and i thought kesha coming out oh as being children of the revolution i was phenomenal blown away i you know let me tell you thank you for bringing her up because i hadn't i had heard of her for years. And I'm ashamed to say I never heard her. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I don't tend to listen to the radio all that much. Uh, I have a streaming service and then I have all my CDs and, you know, and I know that she's very popular and I'd heard of her and she appears in some pop culture references on TV shows. And so I, you know, but I, I don't know. I just sort of didn't pay attention. Yeah. She's one of those artists, it's kind of like, okay, she deserves the hype. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the first time I heard Beyonce. I mean, there was all this hype around Beyonce, and I thought, well, let me check her out. And I thought, oh, my gosh, okay, that hype is truly deserved. Well, that was my response as well, too, uh, when I, the first time I actually saw Lady Gaga. Because at yeah. first, like, hearing her on the radio, I thought, well, she's just another one of those pop, you know. right produced in the studio kind of things but then you actually hear her sing and watch her perform yeah and holy smoke she holy has got smoke. the goods and then of course since then she has done so many varied things you know exactly. she's done heavy metal and she's done tony bennett and all this i mean she is so versatile and so talented you know there's a real lesson learned in there which is not to write off like styles of music because i i mm. tend to sort of uh, you know shy away a bit from like today's top 40 and all of that i'm just not yeah. a big fan of um uh, i guess what's the word like i'm a fan i'll flip it around i'm a big fan of real instruments and yes. so a lot of music today there's not enough of that in my opinion agreed it's like real drums and all of that good stuff but yeah the lesson learned for me seeing kesha is don't just automatically write off some of these artists because the talent is truly there i remember uh, when I first discovered how talented Beyonce really is, I listened to, or I saw a video of her in a hospital singing to a sick patient, singing the song Halo acapella. So oh. no backup, no nothing, no studio, anything mm -hmm. effects on her voice. And it was absolutely mind blowing. And so that's kind of how I felt about Kesha is like hearing her pure voice and sing that song. I thought she did a great job. Yeah, hundred percent. But you know, she started out really pop. You know, one of those like n no live instruments and that kind of stuff. So you kind of forget, you know, that a lot of these people and she's one, and Fergie is one, and Lady Gaga is one. That mm -hmm. they started out as rock and roll singers, right? You know, before they kind of find whatever you know the the vehicle is that makes them 
famous and yeah. propels them into the pop. They were just rock and roll singers. And when they get back to that route, that's you see it. what talent they are. That is it. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's the lesson for, for artists, you know, is, is like, uh, I mean, it's easy for us, I guess, to sit here and say that, you know, don't compromise your soul for fame because it's quite tempting, I'm sure, to reach more people. That makes sense. But kind of to your point, I think we I've seen that a lot, especially with female singers, unfortunately, where they really just they have incredible talent, but somehow they end up doing styles of music that really tame down their talent Mm. and kind of forcibly tone it down and and i don't know what that is but it's it's a real bummer (laughs) yeah you know and i should have thought to include miley cyrus in that list too because Mm. that's kind of her journey as well although she she was started more teeny bopper you know with my uh the hannah montana stuff but when she comes down to when you just hear her sing and hear her do the thing that she loves to do it's she's so good she is so good. And her recent uh, performance of the Cranberry Zombie, I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that live. Yeah. It's incredible. And that kind of won me over for her, too, because same thing. I just sort of wrote her off. So I think I'm taking something away from, you know, that whole notion of after seeing Kesha at the Taylor Hawkins shows and just yeah. be careful about writing people off just because their music style is not to my liking. Maybe I ought to give them a chance. So there's a couple of uh, big reunions that we had at this concert that surprised the heck out of me. And I didn't see them coming. And that was them Crooked Vultures and the James Gang. Yeah. Who <laughs> would, I mean, I mean, them Crooked Vultures kind of makes sense because it's a Dave Grohl project. Right. Who would ever have thought that the James gang would get back together for something like this? I know. That was so sweet that they really did it just for Taylor Hawkins. Yes. I mean, that was because that was, yeah, he was talking about, uh, Dave was talking about how he was always wearing the James gang hat and the shirt and all that. Yeah. That that was was really special. That was really, it was very touching. Yes. And I thought the pretenders were great. Oh, gosh. Yeah. We were blown away because, you know, growing up in L.A. in the 80s, I saw them a good amount. And they played there a lot and in some smaller clubs at first. And then as they gained popularity in larger venues. But uh, really, Chrissy Hine didn't look or sound that much different than she did in the 80s. Mm -mm. (laughs) That was pretty cool. (laughs) And Martin Chambers, he's another one like Stuart Copeland, who's getting on up there in age. And he still plays with the same energy and level of proficiency that he's always played at yeah i love him it gives us hope right as musicians <laughs> yeah, absolutely but maybe we'll like still be able to you know rock it out when we're when we're getting up there oh uh, let's hope yeah <laughs> that's the goal yeah. um so i guess just kind of tying it off at the end uh your overall impressions of uh the whole thing and particularly of that whole big foo fighters segment at the end i thought it was so powerful to end it that way because obviously the fans many of the fans who were there are foo fighters fans and so to be able to you know give them a performance when they might have been wondering if they were ever going to see the foo fighters again true and i don't know what the future holds for them and you know i i've not been following that per se but I think being able to give the fans that gift was a yes. really powerful way. And then it was also just felt like Dave's love letter to Taylor, you know, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, the emotion that he displayed and being able to connect with Taylor through that music. I thought it was a fantastic way to cap it off. And like I said, the show was six hours long and yeah. it certainly didn't feel that way. It, it just felt like we were just glued to the TV, we couldn't tear our eyes away. And you know, that's, that's so interesting. Over six hours, I, I, and that makes me think of um, the day that, and this is going back a long way, but the day that Live Aid was broadcast live, I was the same thing. Yeah. I sat there, and this was what fifteen hours or something, and I yeah. could, could not leave the television because I yeah, did not yeah. want to miss any second of it. Yeah, I remember and, that feeling. <laughs> oh my god! I know it's like. I think there's something about the concept of coming together and and not just for 
one band, but when you bring all of these different bands together and for a purpose, yeah, there seems to be something like really hardcore powerful about that. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, six hours, but, and we consumed a lot of junk food. I mean, we, we were, we were very emotional watching the show, but, you know, partly because Rush was, you know, getting and Alex were playing again and I was very emotional about that. And then just everything else with Taylor, you know, we we're just downing popcorn and chips and everything. So <laughs> this week I've had to eat a little bit healthier, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, this happened, as I said earlier, a couple of days ago, September 3rd, but coming up in a few weeks, they're doing the whole thing again in LA. Yeah. With a with some of the same performers, but a lot of different ones. Like Queen is going to be there. Yeah. And Josh Holm, who did a lot of the vocals. Yeah, he was great. He was fantastic. Um, but they are also doing, uh, Miley Cyrus is going to be there. Yeah. And the one that I'm most excited about is... Alanis Morissette, because that's where Taylor got his start. Exactly. Toured with Alanis for 18 months on her first yeah. album. Well, first album that counts. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited to see her be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, that was news to me. Like, I didn't realize that he had, that that's where he started out. So that that's really neat. Yeah. You you need to go watch the. It's very recent, and I don't remember what streaming service it's on. But there's a a, a documentary about Alanis and about that first album and about that first tour. And Taylor is in a lot of it. Oh, okay. I'll have to check like that doing out. doing new interviews and footage from the from that whole tour from uh, like sh uh, shows and stuff. Yeah, very cool. I will definitely check that out. That's going to be thrilling, though. Yeah. So Getty and Alex are going to be at the LA show. I know oh. to see them again, you know, that there's just a void. I mean, you try not to live your life in the past, you know, looking backward, you try to live in the present and looking yeah. forward, but it's rush has been the one thing that I've had a real struggle with that because I remember how it was, you know, how, how thrilling it was to be anticipating a rush show and, yeah. What an incredible experience it always was. I saw Rush 20 times and, yeah. you know, and so to be able to have that kind of a little bit of that back, I must admit selfishly that that was so welcome, especially in this difficult time we're living in. Yeah. Um, Stuart Copeland will be there. Yeah. Um, Wolfgang Van Halen will be there. Yeah. And um, Joan Jett, which I'm excited yeah. about. Very cool. Gene Simmons is. I know. Yes. And I only just found out a little while ago, like earlier today, that Nancy Wilson is going to be there. Yes. Oh my. Now I wish I could go. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. That is. What a show that's going to be. Amazing. So, what do you think? What do you think that uh, Getty and Alex are going to do there? Do you think they'll do the same set or do you think they'll do three different things? I don't know. I would. If I had to guess, I would say that they'll do the same set because it's very, and I know this from personal experience, very, very hard to prepare for doing Rush songs, even if you're Rush. <laughs> even so if you're when, Rush. <laughs> even if you're Rush. So when they were on hiatus after Neil's wife and daughter passed away and they came back yeah. uh, with the Vapor Trails album, uh, they said that you know the process of rehearsing after that long away Alex joked that for the first couple of months, they sounded like a crappy Rush tribute band. And then <laughs> after a little bit of time, they sounded more like a mediocre Rush tribute band. And then only over time did they kind of get back to, you know. So that's my that's my guess is that they would stick yeah. with the same songs so that they're doing it solidly because it is. I mean, even for us, like we've been like doing this almost nine years. We have two shows coming up. Some of the songs in those shows we've been playing for quite a while. I'm still practicing them every day. Yeah. Because it is so easy to lose, you know, lose mm -hmm. that, uh, <laughs> lose the solidity there. So, yeah, I kind of expect it'll be the same three also, not only for the reasons that you mentioned, but also because that's the songs that their two sit in drummers know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So unless they're, you know, they've got a couple of weeks. So unless Omar and Dave are going to learn a couple of new songs. I yeah, agreed. But, but I loved the the songs that they picked. They, oh, they I, I such a great too. energy to them. 
I was thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. So um, that kind of wraps up our review of the show. Anybody who uh, has not seen it, there's a couple of places online that you can find the entire show. Paramount Plus has a 45-minute um, sort of best of kind of thing. And I think that the whole thing is available in chunks, like is like in a series of episodes. So definitely go look for it if you haven't seen it already. Comic-Cons are back. Fans are ready. Hear all about it on The Con Guy Show, where we keep you up to date on all the events, the movies, the people, and the conventions that drive your passions and feed your fandom. Straight from the nerdy heart of Hollywood, California, we are proud members of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. So, Vicki, in addition to being a rock star in your own right as uh, the leader of Spirit of Rush, you are also an author. So I talk am. about some of the some of your past projects and you have a really cool upcoming project. I do. Thank you for the chance to share that. So, yeah, I've written actually three books uh, in the past, two books, uh, one book of poetry, one book of poems and essays. And one business book about working with India, because that's that's kind of my day job. Um, but the the last book I wrote is called The Winter Garden, which is a, a Rush reference. It's a line that appears in the song Presto. And it was kind of, I, I wrote it like half before Neil Peart died and half after. And so it was like my project during the heart of the pandemic that helped me cope with both the pandemic and the loss of Neil. So there are several poems that are dedicated to him, but I also include the story about how I met Rush and how some kind of amazing, miraculous things happened along the way. So I released that book last year and I sell it at our shows, which is a lot of fun because, you know, fans can get to know me a little bit better and all that good stuff. But I recently started to uh, go through a scrapbook that I had of like ticket stubs and, and think backstage passes from my past. And I realized that in addition to the story about how I met Rush, I have some other just amazing stories from growing up in LA in the eighties in the heart of the hair metal scene at, on sunset strip, you know, it'll never be like that again. So true. I was alive during a really, really special time in LA and I also had a family member who was a professional musician. And so I kind of got access to some pretty special musicians. But also, I just have a tendency, my personality, to um, really want to connect with people. And so I kind of had this, like, I'm just going to walk up and talk to these famous rock stars. And I, I, don't, it's, I don't mind. I just want to get to know more about their music. So I'm just going to go and introduce myself. So call it a combination between courage and obliviousness. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I just had a tendency and a knack for kind of coming up to musicians and finding a way to connect with them. And so I've got some pretty amazing stories, everything from how I insulted Motley Crue in a restaurant and it turns out they were sitting right behind me <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to sneaking backstage and meeting Joe Satriani and yeah, just a whole slew of great stories. So I want to share those with folks. And it's kind of a, a memoir of my life as well. All mm -hmm. the way from the eighties to all the way up to the formation of spirit of rush. Yeah. And there's a, without giving away any spoilers, there's a couple of really great rush stories in there. There are one of which just happened recently. So yes. yeah. Definitely. So, so people have to wait for the book. Yes. To find out about that. Yeah. It, it'll it, be a little while, but uh, it's going to be worth it though. It, it will be. It's, it's going to be a fun read uh, for any music fan for rush fans in particular, because there's a lot of lots and lots of documenting of rush concerts and rush stories, but there'll be something for everyone. Yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about all that, give us an idea of where, listeners can find out more about all of your projects, your writing and your performing. Yeah. So uh, if you want to find us, uh, Spirit of Rush on social media, we are Spirit of Rush Atlanta on Facebook, 
We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on YouTube. So if you just Google Spirit of Rush Atlanta, you're going to find all of our social media. Uh, for my writing projects, there is a website called lulu.com. That's the publisher. That's the publishing press of my second book. So if you, uh, and my first one, actually. Yeah. Both of my poetry books are on Lulu. So lulu.com, just search on my name, Vicki Flyer Hudson, and you'll see those books. And the new book is, uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to put it out because it takes a lot of research. I'm having to go back and yeah. you know, corroborate stories and find dates and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. But I'm hoping in about a year, maybe less, that that book will be finished. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, I have my little publishing company, CosmicPress.com, and uh, that's spelled K-O-Z-M-I-C Press because I'm an idiot. And uh, I've got another podcast, Earth Station Trek, which is all about Star Trek. So I would love for people to go and check that out. Vicki, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Taylor Hawkins and this amazing concert that we just saw. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Well, you're always a joy to talk to. And any opportunity I have to sort of have these kind of conversations with you, I'm all for. <laughs> right back at you. Cool. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Take care. Um, Modern Musicology with our full list of co-hosts is going to be back next week. And we have something really special lined up for our next show. So do not miss it. Hope to see you then. Everybody have a great week. Take care. And we will see you next time. Keep rocking. Bye, everybody. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.